This is Family Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with Vince for the first time. And we've got your website below, and that'll be fully clickable when we're published on all the platforms that you can listen to and watch a podcast. But how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me on. So today we're going to talk about mindset, and you're 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 basically you're you're involved in mental health. You work with a lot of people. You used to be a, a FDNY firefighter. You're currently a psychotherapist and master mindset coach. So um, maybe you want to give people a little bit of brief um, about a story background uh, to give them an introduction to you. Sure. Well, before we get deeper into the conversation. Yeah, definitely. Love to. So I had a very interesting past where I struggled a lot to fit in. I struggled a lot in my childhood where I was always kind of the outcast. And through all of that, I had been diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and panic disorder. Struggled a lot with some suicidal ideation, self-harm. There were a lot of things in my life that seemingly was feeling very out of control. And I was living in a state of victimhood. Now, I found a multitude of things to start helping me through that. And in that process, I began changing who I was as a person as well as my trajectory in life. So I worked in mental health from the time I was 18 to 28 as a psychotherapist or assisting alongside other doctors and doing psychotherapy. And I'd worked in pretty much every setting you can imagine. I worked in inpatient, outpatient, hospital clinics, homeless shelters. I worked in private practice, Department of Education. I was doing applied behavioral analysis and I was a traveling home therapist. So I had a very widespread uh, career in therapy, if you would. However, I was feeling like it was just a business model. And I didn't really feel like it was helping people mm. in the ways that it could. So I started to grow pretty disenfranchised with therapy overall. And I actually became a firefighter. And during the time that I was a firefighter, I also started really diving into life coaching. And that's when I got my coaching cert. I really started investing in myself and starting to learn many different ways that I could work on helping people and what I could help them with. And then through, I, I want to say about a year at, in the fire department and through building up my coaching business, I was finally presented with the opportunity of, do I stay in this safe profession? And safe is a relatively Maybe not proper word because it's not exactly firefighter. Maybe not not the safest gig. <laughs> <laughs> right. However, when I'm saying safe, I'm talking about benefits and salary yeah, and a very yeah. good protected job. And so do I stay in that safe role or do I make the leap and jump into entrepreneurship? Do I see if I am truly capable of doing what I want to do? So I decided that I felt more called to step into speaking, coaching, and I decided to go full force into that. So after about a year, I was able to resign from the fire department. And then from there, I had basically created a unique hybrid. So when I started working with clients, I was working with anyone and everyone to really just see who I fit well with. And in that, I created a hybrid mixing aspects of therapy, mentoring, and coaching in one. So this gave birth to my own process, my own methodology. And that is ultimately where I started seeing, okay, now I'm getting great results with people that I would call high performers. So I worked with a business owner 
and then they referred me to another and so on and so forth. And then I started meeting people in finance or venture capital and startups. And it just kind of started snowballing from there where it's like, okay, well, this is the right place to be for me. Despite ups and downs, I started really falling in love with the process and entrepreneurship and that ultimately led me to where I am today, which is now just doing what I was doing a few years ago, but ultimately on a greater scale. Yeah, it's like creator spark. I've met you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, whether they're life coaches or mentors or people who start their own thing. And you know, I'm, I'm a musician, I'm a producer, I'm a podcaster. So I tend to work with the people who are creative. And I, I really mm. think that that creative sparks in anybody who chooses to go start their own business, whether it's a service type business or, you know, selling a widget or anything you do. Um, you have to have that creative spark to be like, I want to run my own world. You know, I want to put out this, this, this um, energy and it's not going to be contained in the cube, right? It's not going to work that typical and you weren't doing a typical nine to five you're a firefighter but still you wanted to have ownership of your path right you wanted to know that you were and you were doing what you wanted to do and what made you feel good yeah well there's also something to be said right i love that i love the way you bring it up with the creative ideology is that for that specifically when you're an entrepreneur you ultimately get paid for what you get to create when you're working in a nine to five, you get paid to utilize things other people have created. And not yeah. that there's a bad thing in that. There's no there's no more merit in this job or less than that one. It's just more of what do you find joy in? And for me, I noticed I had a lot of disagreements with people that were above me and not in the fire department. <laughs> that was actually more so. Yeah, it was more so when I was a therapist and I was I was basically constantly oh, telling management that I thought they could do things better with the, the clients. And they never really appreciated that because here I am and it's like, well, you have barely any time in the field. And it's like, well, maybe, yeah. maybe, but I've never been a fan of time either. If I know something, I don't think that because you have 10 or 15 years on me means that I don't know what I know and that you know better because you've been here longer. I've, I've always hated that sentiment. Is there yeah. some truth to time? Sure. In in 10, 15 years, we'd hope you would know more. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it didn't always work out that way. So yeah, I, I like really phrase yeah. it. Well, that creative spark is like there's a lot of times it's like how come in music it's always like a young person's game, right? Because it's like the new thing coming from the underground. It's not always the guys that have been out there. Like the Stones have been around forever. Like they, they still put something out new. But the fact is like the energy in the market is not in rock and roll it's in like EDM and hip hop and other forms that are different than what was in the past 30 years. Yeah. And so it's always that kind of cutting edge or the bleeding edge. What I like to get into is, you know, when somebody feels the confidence to actually be authentic and come mm -hmm. up with something that, you know, the canon says this, and then the artist says, I'm going to flip it. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times, people don't get a lot of support in doing that. And that's why, you know, there's only so many people who can be an entrepreneur, so many people who can be that person on stage or write that poem or be the, be at that, you know, conference speaking, because sure. a lot of people have that imposter syndrome. They don't believe they should be there. 
Mm. So kind of if you get into that, that growth mindset, it's like you have to believe in your own presence, right? That you have to believe you're legitimate and you're not, you don't suffer from imposter syndrome that you actually, uh, you know, deserve to be on stage saying what you're saying and you're not scared of it. You might be scared of it, but people don't perceive it. <laughs> oh, of course. Well, you know, here, here's a question for you. When you decided you wanted to jump into entrepreneurship, right? Did your friends and your family, like your good friends and your family <laughs> try to dissuade you from doing it? Oh, yeah. They were always trying to dissuade me. I, I, I lived in Tokyo for two years and they, everybody told me not to do that. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that people tell you not to do, right? You know, of people course. tell me, well, why, why are you going to be a musician? Why are you going to be a podcaster? Why are you going to go to Japan? Why are you going to be a consultant? It's like, I, I wear a lot of hats. And sure. so, like, in my day life, I'm a software designer that helps me pay for my Moogs and my Rollins and all my keyboards and stuff. And then I'm a producer and a musician. So I got a lot of hats. But they all tend to be something that's creative, either using my left or right side of my brain or both. Mm -hmm. And what I found is like, I don't, I used to be working for big companies. And then I said, you know what, I'd rather be a consultant. I'd rather be independent. I'd rather I've worked, I, I've been signed to labels. And then I decided I don't like what the label's doing because they're trying to control me. So I mm -hmm. tend to want to be more independent. And it is that people were like, oh, you're crazy. You should just take the nine to five. Because they feel more comfortable. It's like, like, you know, well, do you feel comfortable in a codependent relationship? Because it's like you're used to it, but is it good for you? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Just because you're used to something doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> and and what did you need when everybody was telling you you were crazy? What was the one thing you actually needed to hear from somebody? Well, you know, the people who love me, my, my wife and my daughter, my direct family, they they just they supported me. You know, and, 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 you know, a lot of times, sometimes they, you know, not everybody agrees with you, but they support you mm. and, and just having those like, it's okay. You, you got it. And, you know, not to just have that constant naysaying, you yeah. know, that you can live with it, but you do need some people to be kind of in your corner or at least listen to you. They don't have to agree with you, right. But if they can listen to you and to maybe give you options and, constructive criticism rather than like destructive criticism. I think the biggest thing is to have people that at least are understanding and maybe not totally a hundred percent, but at least allow you to be. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, can I, can I challenge one thing you said right there? Cause I think it's so important and, and this is really important for anybody who's going to jump into entrepreneurship. You said destructive criticism and I know what you're talking about, but I want to say the shift could be, it might be destructive concern. A lot of the times mm -hmm. our loved ones, and I'm no different where my, my mom was like, Hey, don't leave the fire department. Hey, why don't you do your coaching thing on the side? And even some of my friends were, were like, dude, you're leaving the F fire department. You know how crazy hard it is to get in there. Like I'll take that job. I'm like, I wish I could give it to you. Cause I'm not going to do it anymore. And mm -hmm. The biggest thing is that I know, and I'm sure you've also come to this conclusion too, is that it's all just out of love. People are scared for themselves in their own yeah. lives, and they would never do what we just did. However, they're <laughs> going to also share their feelings, their opinions, because they care about us. And 
your point, it could be destructive, but I don't see it as criticism. I see it as concern because I know it's out of love, despite the fact that the message comes across the wrong way. And I think yeah. that that could dissuade a lot of early ambitious entrepreneurs because when everybody's telling you what they wouldn't do because they're too scared to be you, they're going to try and help you, but it's going to hurt you if you listen. And so it's very important to make that distinction that you could allow yeah. them to yeah. love you, but still not feed into it and do your thing. Yeah, that's different than the hater. Like the hater comes in and they don't really love you. They just have a have a kind of passion for tearing things down without yep. the love. Like you can oh, recognize yeah. when you have, you know, somebody that's a loved one and they're concerned and it's legitimate. And that's more like, you know, it's not destructive, it's constructive. But the destructive is like this hating it because it's different. Because it's not in the canon. Because you chose to go on a bleeding edge and it's not what's typical. And just not liking the different, you know, not liking the thing that's the other. You know, people like to, to clone things. People take, you know, samples. They People take, you know, tunes and make them exactly as much as they can replicate what was done before instead sure. of actually taking something and trying to make it different because the people who are on the bleeding edge, they get mm. criticized. You know, my hero is like Hendrix was, you know, criticized for feedback. That's not what we do. We don't put that on tape. That's the, what we take out of the tape. That's what the recording engineers pull out of the mix. And so if you're somebody mm. trying to push something that's not part of the standard, you're going to get resistance. And the thing is, Hendrix was like, that's way the way I heard it, that's the way it's got to be. He stood his ground and said, that's mm -hmm. the way it's going to be. Not everybody does that. And that's, right. that's why you get like a Hendrix, like once in a generation, you get a guy at that level. You get a Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, you get Eric. You don't get them all the, all the time because people are typically will get pushed into compromising. And, and, you know, because yeah. they don't, they, they, they want to get along. And I think it's right. just like the, the kind of you know, growth mindset is to say, can I, I look at what's out there and still be me and still move forward? You know, mm -hmm. to me, that's the way I grow is I, I kind of push myself into things that I'm not fully comfortable with different genres, different areas, and you don't have to be perfect. I think the, the big problem, is people try to be perfect because they think that's what everybody wants. Sometimes people want something that's authentic. That's not necessarily perfect. Well, there's no such thing as perfect, right? So if you're perfect, you're clearly not authentic. However, if you are <laughs> in the process, if you are talking about what you got going on, I'm a big fan in leading with vulnerability. I think it's extremely important because when you start and, and I think we could also see this in today's society. So when you start just seeing all the positive highlights, it starts making you actually very just unrelatable because everybody can relate to somebody going through something. Not everybody could relate with having an absolutely phenomenal life that's Photoshopped. And even if it's not <laughs> Photoshopped, <laughs> it still makes it hard to relate. And so... People are actually, and that's that's what I'm seeing in today's society that I'm really happy about, is that people are really stepping into more like, hey, we want authenticity. We know a lot of this crap is fake. Like, we're aware of it now. 
And so we'd like to actually see what's really going on in your life. And I'm hoping for the next generation where my daughter is going to grow up is that maybe it will be a much more connected and authentic place because we're going to get to a space where people actually are seeking that. And so much so that they are forming communities. There are greater pushes to actually be more connected to others. And everybody goes through waves. So I think that it's extremely important, whoever's listening, to definitely look at how can you start changing the way you view life. If you're going to step into entrepreneurship, be aware that people are going to give you their fears, their doubts, and their concerns, but you do not have to hold them, carry them, or bring them into your life. And I'm actually always reminded of one thing, which is, do you know where the richest place in the world is? Uh, well, I don't really follow that so much. I would assume, you know, you some people would probably think, you know, Dubai or someplace in China because they look where the, the things, because of the, the oil or because of, uh, you know, the, the the supply chain and where most of the manufacturing occurs in China, out of China now. You would assume sure. that maybe it would be that or because of, you know, energy production, but I'm not sure. Well, then you you might like this one. So everybody typically, when I ask them, where, what do you think the richest place in the world is? The answer I usually get is Dubai, now looking at supply chain, maybe China. But to me, the real answer is actually the graveyard. Because that's where people who have multi-million or billion dollar ideas have taken their thoughts to the grave because they were too afraid to act. People got in their head. They thought oh, their wife was right. They thought their mom was right. They thought that their best friend was right. They thought that everybody that told them they shouldn't decided that they were right and that they couldn't. And so they took all of those ideas to the grave. And I've decided that in my lifetime, and what I hope other people do if they're listening, is make it your purpose to go to the graveyard poor. Go broke. Use up all your ideas. Give the world every penny you have of creativity, idealism, whatever it is, so that when you go to the graveyard, it didn't even get a cent richer because your body now resides there. That that's that's the mindset I try to have because um as a as a as a producer, like I have this philosophy where like I'm in my bedroom studio. And I record pretty much every other day, every day. And I put my stuff on these underground forums like SoundCloud and stuff. And I just throw things at the wall. And my my philosophy is, you know, I grew up <clears throat> listening to people like Lou Reed and Bob Dylan and Hendrix. And a lot, I listened to a lot of their outtakes. I listened to a lot of the stuff that was never really popular. Because what I've always been very enamored with even going back to a guy like William Blake, famous Victorian poet that actually wasn't found, wasn't known in his age. He was known outside of his age. But he, the thing about William Blake was very inspiring. Those poems that he wrote, like the Songs of Innocence and Experience, experience and uh, the Tiger, Tiger, How Fearful Thy Symmetry, they were done on metal plates with artwork in acid. Wow. And he wasn't known in his time, but people found those poems because they were on metal plates. And after he was gone, he became one of the iconic 
poets of the Victorian era, the, one of the greatest romantic poets, but he wasn't known in his time because he mm -hmm. had the foresight to actually put the poems into acid on metal so they didn't go away. <laughs> How about that? So you just put it out there and the world will find it. Yeah. That's not my, my philosophy. <laughs> I, listen, I love it. And even if they don't, right? Like, let's just say your biggest fan is your daughter. And then your daughter shares that with her grandkids. And then, you know, she shares that with their kids. And it, even if it doesn't go any further, you're enriching at least your own family unit. And it's, it's something to be said that you can do whatever you like in this world. But the reality is if you don't put anything out there, there's not going to be anything else for you. You're going to be forgotten very quickly. And maybe that's not a bad thing, right? Do we all have to strive to have these big immortality projects? Probably not. However, you don't know who will find what you have and how it might impact or affect them. See, I'm on this mission to impact a billion lives. One of the big caveats of that is, one, I don't actually have to do it in this lifetime. If I'm gone, but I write a great book, I have a good course, maybe I put out some free resources that are utilized over and over, maybe I hit a billion 100 years from now, right? Like, we're still reading books, or at least I am from the times of the Roman Empire, yeah. right? You have meditations from Marcus Aurelius, one of the greatest Roman emperors. You have things from Napoleon who, Hill, who was over 100 years ago, his writings. He's still impacting yeah. lives today. I mean, both of them, Marcus Aurelius especially. I guess, what, thousands of years now? He's had to impact hundreds of thousands, millions, maybe billions of lives. I don't know. But that's what I see it as. You just want to see who you can impact and how you could do it. So don't be scared yeah. to put yourself out there. Well, that's the whole idea that, you know, I love about the podcast form that I started doing back in 2016. And we've actually hit like over a thousand episodes and people say you should, that typically podcasts only go like 12 episodes. And the reason I kept on doing it and keep on doing it is that I treat it like a masterclass that as a podcast host, every time I talk to somebody, I'm gaining an hour's worth of knowledge from what they they are experts in, right? And I get to be part of that and I get to learn that and then I get to share it. But it's not just like, oh, my metrics, oh, how many people listen to the episode. The fact that I actually learned it myself and then shared it, I feel it's like an education for me as a human being. And then mm -hmm. I give it to other people. You get a lot of value from that oral learning. That's like a, a human characteristic, the oral tradition. And by yeah. doing this, we put it out there and, and, and we do it in an unvarnished way. We don't edit. And so we let things be the way they are. You let it be present moment in the flow, what it is. And to me that, that, that has a lot of value just because the historic nature of human beings having real conversations and, and actually sharing ideas and, and that is if I can contribute to that, that's been my whole goal is to get more people into it and get other people. I've had other people start podcasts because I've interviewed them and they got on to do their own. That's the goal to get people to confident enough to know that they could do it and share their knowledge. Yeah. I love that, man. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's just about uplifting and supporting one another. And everything was an idea. Everything you see, everything we use, everything in society was at one point just an idea. 
And now it's not. Now it's things. Now we have objects and we have experiences and we have different ways to describe different things that we might be experiencing. I mean, life shifts because we we work and function as a big collective. And so the more you could do to support and influence that collective, the more that I see as you contributing value that might outlast you, might not, but who cares, right? It's just about what can you do? Because even if even if your biggest circle of influence right now is your wife and your daughter, you never know what your daughter's going to do. You never know how big she might become. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's not her, maybe her kid or her, her kid's kid. Who knows? You You never know. So the point being is always just put out what you can, do what you can for anyone you can. Well, I think it also helps with, um, you know, I, I I was not the biggest public speaker in my teens or mm. in my mid-20s. I was very scared and fearful of being out there on stage. And now I'm out here doing this. And, you know, I do it pretty much every day. And mm. like, the way I overcame anxiety is kind of like, you know, how does an athlete get perfect their three-point shot? They keep on doing it. Like, if you show up, and you treat it like practice. And you say, well, you know, like athlete practices, a musician practices, dancers practice. Well, you practice, you use your mind, like use your voice. You can overcome a lot of inner turmoil if you actually take it on directly. And my fear was public speaking. So being out here as a musician and a podcaster, I kind of hit it dead on and, 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 and went right into it. And not everybody feels comfortable going right into the thing they feel the most. But I think it, it can help if you start to realize once you do it, you get better, you get more comfortable, then it starts to ease and it goes away. The, the mm. anxiety and the fear of the thing you're scared of, if you actually had, you know, deal with it head on, it's a way to challenge yourself. Yeah, I love it, man. That's That's what it all comes down to. You need to be able to navigate adversity. You need to be able to take fear and transmute it because fear is going to be there. And one of the biggest things that people don't think about enough, right, especially when they're battling through fear, is that usually, like, do you even know what you're afraid of? The biggest thing people mostly are afraid of is change. Why? I mean, here's the kicker. Change is going to happen regardless. Life is always changing. It's going to be there. The thing that you get to determine is progress. Change will always occur. If you're going to progress or you're going to stay in a worse form, that's up to you. And people don't want to change. Why? Because it's too painful. Well, here's another kicker. Pain is also a massive part of life. The choice you have is if you want to suffer or not. So you're basically at battle with inevitables. <laughs> How are you going to battle something that's inevitable? What are, you, what are you going to create a new alternate universe where those things don't exist? So you better get comfortable. <laughs> You have to learn. You have to look at, okay, life's going to change. How do I adapt? Life is going to be painful. How do I deal with it? How do I become stronger? How do I overcome it? Because you could sit there and suffer. You could resist the change and you won't make progress. And then you'll feel worse about the fact that you're further behind than you were. And it's this whole cycle. Or you could break the cycle before it even starts. Things are changing. I better start adapting. What are they changing to? How do I need to change with them? What's the kind of mindset that'll help me right now? What are the actions I could take? What are the thoughts that I need to have? There's so many variables that you could look at if you want to live empowered or you can play the victim. 
And you'd say, I don't like that things are changing. I don't want to accept that they're changing. I'm going to take this pain I'm feeling and I'm going to keep sitting in it. I don't want to move on. All right, choose suffering. But ultimately, your choices are going to give you the outcome of the life that you not, I'm not going to say should have. I'm going to say what you deserve. And you only deserve whatever kind of work you're putting in or not putting it. So you can't get upset about the results you don't have from the work you didn't put in. And you can't hate on people that put in the work and have the results you don't have. You need to just consistently look at what is your life like right now. You look at that and then you ask, what do you want it to be? And you build that roadmap and you take some damn ownership and you push yourself to get there through strategy. You don't want to stumble around either. Get a clear, concise vision. So I like to say that the life building formula, which is very simple, is vision plus clarity plus repetition equal results. Now, it doesn't always mean that it's going to be good either, right? Because if you have no vision, <laughs> if you have no clarity, and if your repetition is to do nothing over and over, your results are going to suck. Conversely, if you have a good vision, yeah. I want to impact a billion lives. If you have some clarity, how are you going to do that? I'm going to get on as many stages as possible. I'm going to ask as many people as I can to help me, support me in my mission. And I'm going to put out products and services and items and things that can transcend me. And lastly, my repetition. I'm just going to do it every damn day until I'm there. And if I'm not there, I'm going to do it every damn day until I die so that maybe when I'm dead, somehow I'll still get there. Guess what results I'm going to have? They're going to be pretty remarkable. Even if I don't hit the billion, they're going to be good. So that's how I base everything on life. It's very simple. All you, do, all you need is those three. You need a vision, you need clarity, and you need repetition. Yeah, I think that's a goal. I, what I found is with a lot of creative people I've dealt with, they sometimes get into this situation where they just um, – they create a lot of work. I've been around painters, going to their loft, hundreds of paintings that they ask them, did you ever, did you, is this in the, ever been in a gallery? No, it's not ready. And you look at it as though it looks ready to me. Yeah. And then I deal with musicians, got hundreds, hundreds of demos and they never put anything out. They say, you're still working on that record, you've been working on it for four years. And it's, you know, the difference between the people who, who go on the stage and the people who could or don't is, is the, the ones who are willing to accept kind of what it is right? and, mm -hmm. and, and actually take incremental steps. And it might not be perfect. Like the Beatles show up in Hamburg. They're not the Beatles that we know by Abbey Road, but they chose right. to jump on that stage and do it. Yep. The people who chose choose to do that, they eventually every day doing it, you progress and you get an Abbey Road, you get, a sergeant yeah. members. It doesn't come out that it. way day one. Every artist, that we, when we're working on stuff, it it builds. People think it's like some overnight sensation. Most of the people I've ever dealt with, it's like five or 10 years worth of work before they even get anywhere, right? But right. nobody saw them. Nobody saw the process. And they just think it happens overnight. It's never overnight. It's that continual work and, you know, doing something incrementally getting better, sometimes having peaks and valleys, but you, you don't give up because of the valley. Yep. You know, you don't think the peak's going to be there forever because it's not. So you just, you just have to be consistent and, and believe 
you know, in yourself. And like a lot of times, the most of the problems are the, the disbelief in yourself <laughs> will cause the most yeah. issues. It won't be anybody else stopping you, but you most of the time. A hundred percent. And and you know what I love most about, about what you just said is that at the end of the day, ultimately we all have the power over our lives. You're going to become what you want to become or not. I've met people that I believe are way better than I am like at what I do where I look at them and I'm like, you are phenomenal. You know, what sucks about you though, is that I will outwork you every day. I don't think I'm smarter than you or better than you. I just put in more effort. You don't. And I've had those conversations with people flat out and I'm not saying it as an insult. I'm saying it as a reality. The only reason I have a, a, a small following, the only reason I'm getting certain clients, the only reason I'm getting specific places that I'm getting is because I am just putting in the work. It's like, I'm going to send this email. If I don't get an answer, I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to send another email. Oh, I'm going to text this person. How many times? <laughs> as many times as it takes. If they don't answer, they're just going to see 10 freaking messages in a stack because I don't care. Like if you're not answering me, you've already given me the worst outcome I could possibly receive. So what am I going to do? Annoy you? Good. Answer me and then I'll stop annoying you or better yet block yeah. me if you're not interested. Yeah, yeah. So I have that mentality and that's what's made me in my in my opinion, that's what made me successful because I don't take no for an answer. Yeah, I, I relentlessly follow up. I've at, at one point I remember there was one client. It took me over seven months to close her as a client. And some people would already write them off. They'd be like, ah, this person, they're not blah, blah, blah. After seven months, they were my biggest client. They, they literally at the time paid one third of my income because of how, how many hours they got, how many they, they had multiple people from their company I was working with. So all of that lasted because of the fact that I was willing to just constantly get not really a rejection, but not a good reply or stood up for about seven months. Yeah, yeah. And people will quit because they're not used to some rejection or they don't like the way it feels or they're, well, you know, uh, the pitch deck isn't ready yet. So I can't try and get investor funds or, or I don't know how to, how to word the, the copy properly. So I can't put an ad out. And it really, it really is just the stupidest crap that people get hung up on. And so you know, I, I look at these yeah, procrastination. Yeah. I find well, people that procrastinate, because they want the thing to be perfect. And this is where I get into like perfection. I know things can't be perfect, yeah. but we get into this perfection paralysis. Right. Because like I'm a child of the 70s. I like to record without the computer, without the quantize on and actually learn to play the song. So by the time I'm done, I know the song yeah. rather than going into the computer and trying to quantize and make everything perfect. Right. Because I like to listen to the old school stuff in the 50s and the 40s and the 60s, just anything from the past where the computers weren't involved and people had artistry and they got, guess what? You have happy accidents. You have rhythmic timing issues, um, actual, you know, um, tonal issues, like key issues. But, you know, those things are, are like like paintings. To me, it's like a sound painting. And so the imperfections in the recording actually make the recording unique. And because right. they have these happy accidents or these things, they're basically, you know, you can't hit, there's no bad note. It's just, it's, it's, it's an opportunity. And, mm. and some people want to kind of wash all that and cleanse it. So it's antiseptic and it has no feeling. And so technically 
it looks perfect, but it doesn't move me because it doesn't have any emotion. Doesn't it doesn't have the fact that they're willing to put something out that's more raw or more closer to the truth. Like when you right. do something and it's the third take and you accept it rather than doing the 99th take, it ends up being something that is very authentic and it has vulnerability. This is where some people make the mistake is the vulnerability. They try to add it out. And I think that, it, you know, people don't want that. We, we talked at the beginning that people want something that feels honest. A hundred percent. People love people. Exactly. People love vulnerability. They love imperfection because it's relatable. And so many times people will be afraid to be vulnerable, but I think that it's because of the fact that they haven't owned or accepted it yet. When you cannot accept that there's something there that bothers you, you're never going to accept it to the point where it doesn't bother you anymore. See, I could talk about my past and all the things that have happened to me because I don't care. I, I look at them as actually enhancements to my life instead of deterrence. Like if people like to, or if people want to come to me and they want to try and talk crap and be like, I'm not going to listen to you. You're a loser. You got thrown in the trash can in high school. I'd be like, that's cool. Like which podcast did you hear that on? Because I've already said it like a thousand times. Like I, <laughs> I don't care. Like, so what man that, yeah, it happened and it sucked. And I was in a trash can and my knees were pressed up against my forehead and had to freaking barrel over, over so I could get out of it. But like, what, so what, you know, am I still that guy? No. Was there a part of me that lived that life? Yeah, of course. Did it make me better? hundred percent. Do I think it's a funny story? Actually, yes. Yes, I do. I think it's freaking hilarious, that story. I love telling that story. Like the in-depth one, not the overview I just gave all of you. But at the end of the day, mm -hmm. if I was deeply embarrassed by that, I could never be vulnerable about it because I would look at it as people would use that to hurt me. Like somebody walk up to me and call me trash can guy or whatever. And like, that would yeah. actually be kind of funny. You're like, I know you, you're the trash can guy. I'd be like, ooh, that could be a new title. It's like I'm a therapist, I'm a stoic, I'm a mental performance coach, and a trash can guy. Like <laughs> guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they, if it, people don't understand that as a musician or a writer, it's the things in life that are painful that create usually the most impact. And the creative person can pull that together into a piece of art or a product or a service or a, a way to be able to connect. So if you're right. a therapist, your creativity is the empathy you have and the connection you can make with things that happen to you and then understand it's relatable to any other human being and to be able to listen to that person and then apply your story and hear their story and figure out how to move forward. Right. So that's very creative. The musician, we listen to something that was done in the past. We feel what we feel today. We hear what other people are doing and then we synthesize something new that right. comes out of that kind of moment. And it's it's the creative energy I find with authors, poets, writers, anybody that's a creative, people like yourself. That to me is motivational for me because I think all human beings are creative, but some people don't give themselves the permission to accept that they can be a creator. And the, and the kind of job... I have is to try to let people know that everybody can be a creator and you shouldn't be embarrassed or be scared or think you got to be William Blake or Shakespeare or, or <laughs> Michael Jackson or Elon Musk. You don't have to be anybody but you and, right. and, and have a little bit of courage to say 
what you want to say, put your hand up, speak out, put it on the board and let it be. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I think that too many people are afraid to just share what's really going on in their lives. And, and even more than that, too many people get crippled by it. Like you want, you want to talk about some real crap today, man, literally today, probably about three hours ago, I signed my termination papers from my startup that I was a co-founder of literally just wrote myself out of it. Yeah. had a conversation with my co-founder and he couldn't find space for me in the company anymore. Just didn't make sense. And since I only had 20% of the company, it was very easy to just be like, Hey, listen, I'm asking you to leave, but the reality is if you don't leave, you're just leaving anyway. And so I signed my papers and that was pretty much it. Lost all my equity, lost everything from that few months of work, not much, maybe seven months of work and effort, but maybe I'll come back into it later in the future. But I'm also set on like, maybe I never go back, not because of the fact that I have anything against him, just because of the fact that like, maybe I moved to something better or something bigger opens up. God has a door for me to step through and I had to close one to open it. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I very easily could have texted you and said, Hey man, I'm not in the mood to show up today. I just had a bad day. Cause let's be honest. That sucked. That was not cool, yeah, man. Been, My day was been, not spectacular. Yeah. Vibration. <laughs> well, some, yeah I mean, a lot of times people are like in frequencies, you know, I'm a sound designer and I kind of look at things as like, sometimes you're vibing and you're, it's like the law of attraction and everything's cool. And then other, you know, and then you have harmony. And then you have sometimes you're you're in a situation where it's like disharmony. There's dissonance, there's noise, there's like, you know, you can't, you can't, you're just like too much input. And sometimes we're looking for the space between the notes. We're looking yeah. for the silence. We're looking for that harmony. But you know, usually in a good piece of music, there's all those elements. There's the cacophony, there's the disharmony, there's the there's the silences. It's usually not just one thing. So the way I look at it is like, you know, you can't get to the whole piece without a little disharmony and dissonance and problems. And so your life is like that. So it's peaks and valleys, noise, disharmony, things, things happen for a reason. You know, oh, yeah. sometimes you're out of, out of sync. You're not in tune. It's a detuned. If you're in that detuned moment, then you know, it, you know, it doesn't feel good. doesn't sound good, but you, you like, you know, it had to happen to make you go somewhere else, make you think about something else put you into a different position, let you reprioritize, see a new opportunity, go from there. A hundred percent. Well, listen, at the end of the day, right? It's, there's no coincidences. Everything that happens is happening because it's supposed to happen. And to your point, I'm not, I, I like a lot of house music, so I don't really know too much about music. And I just, I just enjoy it a little bit. I can't really tell differences between anything. Uh, so I like all the musical analogies you use. And one that I use, which is kind of similar to your disharmony, is talking about dis-ease. If you're finding that your life is is in a state of dis-ease, what you need to do is you need to find the cure. What's the cure? Probably a form of alignment, perhaps a form of saying yes to something or another form of saying no to something. There's something that you have yet to step into. And so when you're feeling that your life is diseased. You just need to look really hard and see what's the part of it that needs the cure. And then from there, you start living a life of ease. And now you are back in regulation. Now, the way I look at it, especially with my current situation, I do multiple things. 
I have, this was a third company I was working on. I already have my coaching. I have another company. I have a, a, another one that I'm actually working on. I was working on these two simultaneously. And I'm also working mm -hmm. on my speaking side of my coaching business. So working on potentially traveling and doing a whole bunch of things. Now, here's the interesting thing. One of the like questions in my mind. Like speaking engagements? Yes, correct. I want to do more speaking engagements. So here's one of the curious things that actually was on my mind is I'm getting invited to events, sometimes last minute. I'm really pushing to get these speaking engagements. And the biggest thought in my mind was, how am I going to how am I going to manage my current responsibilities in my startup if I actually start getting the things I say I want in the speaking world? And then me and my co-founder have this conversation it's like, Ben, I just don't know where you fit yeah, in the startup right. right now. Like, I need you to kind of go so I could reallocate equity to someone who's going to be more qualified to do something that you can't. So I'm like, OK, fair that like I get that it still sucks. Right. But I get that. So now I'm yeah, walking yeah. away from this with. I, I, this was obviously supposed to happen, but is it because I'm being set up to start getting the things I'm really sitting here saying I'm wanting? I mean, I'm excited yeah, to see the what position. happens. Yeah. And now you got the space or you got the, now you, you're looking like, well, how am I going to fit that in? And now you've been given the, the, the kind of sh showing the world, showing you here's how you can fit it in. Cause now you don't have to do this. So now you can yep. do that. And, you know, I'm a very kind of jazz improv type of guy which means i like to just go with the universe gives me and yep. and kind of trust myself to know what to do with it so i like to create creative moments where i don't have a lot of pre-planning and go into a situation and let it be and not that i don't try to construct things that are more purposeful and planned out but i find that if i get with a bunch of guys and we just go with a general idea and just flow with it we tend mm. to create something better than if we try to micromanage it. Right. And, and it's just, it's just, I've gotten to the point in my life where it's more enjoyable for me to create those moments where we kind of like, there's no bad note and we, we kind of live in, in the flow state mm. and not everybody's ready for that. I've dealt with classical musicians. They got to have it written down or studio musicians that have to have it written down. They don't know what to do unless you write it down for them. But yeah. I'm at the point where I, I enjoy the journey of not knowing exactly what that next note's going to be until I actually am in the moment. Yeah, that's see. And that's one of the interesting things, right? As we were talking a lot about fear today, fear can be beaten out by trust. And I truly believe that because I myself am a flow speaker. So when I first started speaking, everybody was like, hey, are you going to write out a big, you know, your speech? And I'm like, no, because I tried it. And what wound up happening was I got so in my head because I'm a pretty decent writer. And so I wrote this freaking phenomenal speech. I had, oh, I'm going to hit this catchphrase at this moment right after this pause. And, and then as soon as I started speaking, I forgot the whole piece of paper. And then I was getting in my head. I'm like, oh, crap, I'm going to miss that catchphrase. I'm going to miss the pause. Wait, when was I going to say this thing? How was I going to tie that? And then I was like, you know what? And I threw away the piece of paper. And after I threw away the piece of paper, I just gave in to, I'm going to trust that I'm going to say what I need to say and how it needs to be said. And that the message will get across mm -hmm. properly to whoever needs to hear it. 
And that's very hard for people to come into. That requires a lot of trust. Now, the biggest thing that I looked at is, so you, you said something great about just kind of being in harmony with the universe. And I agree. I believe, and this happens to me, and I tell my clients, I'm like, hey, if we're in a session, you should be taking notes. Because I also take notes for them. I'll write down things that I'm going to teach them, like concepts I know and things like that. And I, mm -hmm. I want them to have that. However, I say when I'm speaking, and I'm not taking notes for you, you should be taking notes. And the reason being is that there are times in sessions where I will say something. And somebody will be like, oh, my God, that's so good. Could you repeat that? And the biggest answer that I have is no. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because I literally cannot remember what I just said because I do believe that I get <laughs> what I like to call a download where it just comes to me. I say it yeah. like I, I receive it. I say it and it's gone. So if you miss it in your note, I can't give it back to you because I don't even know what the hell I just said. And it happens so often that yeah. I've started to really believe, <laughs> hey, this could also be something that I bring into my speaking because I have like, I know my speech, man. I have a speaker kit. I have my speaking reel. Like I have a polished speaker at this point. I just, I just need some more stages to shine on now that I'm polished. However, mm -hmm. I know that every time I say my story or I give a good speech, one of the most interesting things is that sometimes it changes a little bit, not much. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. It's and like that little bit, right. But that little bit, that adjustment, that's not made by me. I don't go in thinking I'm going to do that. Yeah, I just yeah, yeah. thinking and I say, hey, if, if you guys don't mind, I'm getting something different right now that I want to share with you. And this is going to be the first time I ever say it. So I hope you don't mind. But I, I just got this new like perspective that I have to share that I never considered until this moment right now. And that's happened to me on podcasts and when I'm talking and I don't know, I don't know who it is. I don't know what it is. Yeah, they call it the muse. You know, poet, poets and musicians, we call it the muse. And mm -hmm. a lot of those like jazz musicians, like we have a piece, right? We have set pieces, right? But a lot of times if, if you ever listen to like a live, like Miles Davis or Monk or any of those guys, every time they play the piece live it evolved there's mm -hmm. no set version of the piece people go and say well i want the 67 version or they 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 because every time they play it it evolves yeah and it's actually part of it and there is a set melody or there's certain sections but things will will change and that's like the nature or like of creativity is like you you're in that moment you're on that stage you're feeling the vibe of the crowd they have energy. I believe the vibe and the frequencies and all that. So it's like, it's that moment and that moment gets captured and that's why it's on tape. And that's why there's a live concert of this and a live concert of that, because yeah. every time you do that, that, that performance, unless you're doing it from a machine that's doing it exactly the way you wrote it, which now the problem I have with a lot of artists is we actually, they actually have tools that can basically make it sound exactly like the, 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 the radio. Make exactly, exactly note for note, no deviation. And and mm. that to me is a problem because then you're not really in the moment. You're just replicating that previous moment. And so you're not playing live. You're not feeling a room. You're not really, you're just regurgitating something you already did. And what's the point? Right. I could just go listen to it on tape. 
And so that that's why you want to see somebody live give a speech or give a performance because they make adjustments. And that's kind of the muse at the moment. It's that, that present state, flow state, and that's what people want to I think that's what they really want to hear is that. Oh, yeah. Your your imperfection is the closest to perfection you'll ever get because it's going to give people the things they truly want because you didn't think they needed it. You didn't think they wanted it. And that's why you just did it. And then it turns out to be the greatest thing ever. But you can never recreate that. And that's the funniest part. That's why things should evolve because you can't recreate the first time. Right. Like, you know, you, you go, you see a movie and it's like great. And then you're like, oh, this is the greatest movie ever. And you're telling your friends and you're telling people and you're like, yeah, yeah, no, it was so good. I'll watch it again with you. And you're watching it the second time. And it's like, all right, I think it's good. It's still good, but it's not like the greatest movie ever. Now it was the greatest movie ever the first time. Yeah. Cause you didn't expect it. Yeah. You didn't expect it. Now you know it. Now you know it. And then you're like, oh, it's not as good as I thought. Because like that first time you perceived it, it was totally new. You hadn't yet, but now you got. If you go back and see it again, it's got those memory recalling memories like deja vu. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think some some artists are making mistakes where they they go and they replicate exactly what they did before, and mm-hmm. every night they're playing the same set, and it's pretty much ninety nine percent not deviating from the original. And, right. you know, you'll get people saying, it's like, that doesn't really feel that good. It's like, the reason people would go see the Grateful Dead was because every night it sounded different. To go see the Allman Brothers, every night it sounded different. You know, bands like Funkadelic, every night it was different. Even if it's the same song, it didn't sound the same. People would go see them three nights in a row. And it wasn't because they were going to hear the same thing. It's because it sounded different every night. That's why they wanted to see it. Right. 100% man it's people want your originality like you might think that so this actually is a good point even in the coaching industry there are so many times where I see coaches that want to go the path of being evergreen which honestly not a bad idea being able to generate income while you don't have to actively work for it sounds phenomenal I have yet to do that in my coaching business reason being is I don't think I'm going to create a course that's going to just solve everyone's issues. Yet, there's so many coaches in the coaching industry that will guarantee that their course will solve your issues. Maybe it could. I don't freaking know, but I highly doubt that. Because, I see, I like to look at these different stages in personal development. And your first stage is you want to just come in and you want to just learn what you can. So go get a book, listen to a podcast, free free audios, free videos, whatever you can, super cheap, low value, low investment. And what that's going to do is that's going to just start exposing you to the field so that you can learn what resonates, what you like, who you like, the messages that make sense or don't. And you can move further into that. And then there's tier two, where now you start getting involved in communities. Maybe you're joining masterminds or you're joining workshops or you're going to seminars or events or whatever the case is. And there's going to be a little bit more of a medium tier investment. And the information is now more distilled and it's more specific but it's still extremely general. And courses would fall into that category as well because, I mean, some of them are as cheap as $97. Some of them are like $15,000 for a course. And when you look at that, it's like, okay, so you're going to get decent info that's now more distilled, but they're still not pointing to you and saying, hey, Vin, this is what you need in your life. 
But that's where tier three comes in of that personal yeah. development, where you've got your general info, you've been in the field for a bit. Now you're like, all right, I need somebody to pick apart my damn life, as opposed to going to a course and them saying, well, I know how to navigate yeah, your issue. For everybody. <laughs> yeah. And I've created this course to navigate this issue with everyone. And it's like, oh, right. Because that course solves that issue. But let's not forget, everybody struggles with the same issue in the same way. So, of course, your course is the remedy. And so I've really grown into that space of even if I make a course one day, I'm probably not going to market it as super high value. I'm going to leave it as like a cheap general kind of way to get in because I know you're just reading mm -hmm. from a book or you're reading from this course. You can get some good insights and perspectives, but at a certain point, you need the specifics. You need the, hey, this is for you. This is what you do in your life. This is how you change this situation for you. And that's ultimately when you really start getting into, holy crap, things are really switching up in my life. And so I like to encourage people is don't just sit there and look for something that's super static. Look for something that's extremely dynamic because that's really where you're going to yeah. start finding those it makes sense. Well, it's like individual, like it's like listening skills. Like if you, if you go to like an individual like therapist that listens to your story and then they've got a history of, of, of analysis and it's not trying to solve, like, like it's not trying to follow some blueprint. They, you know, they have an overall idea of what things are, right. how things can be. Right. But they got to hear your story to know what applies. And after working with lots of people, they can see parallels, but nobody's you. So they're going to, it's customization seems to be the key. Like when, like if you work with somebody for producer, like the point you're working with them for is because they're going to listen to your ideas and your demo, feel who you are, and then give you positive feedback on how we can make it the best version of you. So the idea is, I, as a producer, I listen to somebody's demo, and I, I I listen to something that's uniquely them, and then I try to accentuate it and make it sound better, make it the better version of that piece when i think like a therapist probably does the same thing listens to the, somebody's story listens or the coach listens to somebody's you know full you know dynamic life and then figures out what makes sense after they heard it based on their experience and parallels but nobody's the same so maybe the same concepts but you have to apply it to their situation at that point in time right I love it, man. That that's a hundred percent true. It's it everything in life when you're creative really comes down to is it applicable at this moment? Right? That's the biggest thing. If you're gonna make a painting, is it is it applicable at this moment? Is this representative of you, your style, your brand? Is it representative of what you're trying to encapsulate in the world in this moment, in this painting? If you're going into coaching or therapy or mentoring, or you're even going to be one of the people delivering those services, is it relevant to the person sitting in front of you? Or is it relevant to you, the person who's receiving it, right? How does your life or how does the information you're taking in directly impact what's currently going on? And even in music, right? Are you up with the times? Are you creating something that people want to listen to? Or are you just happy doing your own thing, even if nobody listens? Like, at the end of the day, if you could justify what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it, how it moves with you, or 
if you're trying to fit in with society, how it moves with society, then more power to you. But you must be dynamic. You cannot stay static. Yeah, I think the, the, the goal with people, you know, to create happiness is to, you know, a lot of times it's like, is it really what you want? Or are you trying to satisfy what you think other people want you to be? Right. I think when people start to realize they can be happy because they choose to be happy for themselves. Right? right. And then once you're in that kind of good position, then the law of attraction happens. Like if you're prickly and upset and anxious and freaking out, you're probably not going to have the best experience. You're probably not going to, the law of attraction is going to bring the best opportunities if you're in that state. But if you get into a state where you're better adjusted, where in terms of that, you are, are, are getting at peace with yourself. And then you can feel people will want to be around you. They want to hear what you have to say. You're not driving people away. You're bringing people to you with that law of attraction. Then you're going to be in a better place to make good progress. Right. I get that. I agree with that. And you are 100% on point. You have to keep your energy here so that you can get opportunities that are operating in that opportunity because everything has an energy. Everything has a frequency. We hear it through music. We hear it through song, but we don't often see it in other ways. And that's a disservice because it all exists and it's all there. So as long as you keep your energy high, as long as you stay elevated, you will continue to move in that state of elevation. Conversely, if you're lower and you're barely moving and you're sluggish, et cetera, you're going to be putting yourself in a hole. I mean, every client I work with, I even challenge them and they are required to have a physical activity, a physical fitness regimen. And I don't care what it is. I'm not saying you got to lift weights. You got to do intense CrossFit. I don't give a crap. If you told me, hey, Vin, I want to be your client, but I'm only going to walk around the block every day. I don't care. If you are not moving, and changing the frequency of your body physically, I don't want to work with you. I just don't. Because to me, if you're going to leave any part of your growth out of this, if you're not going to do things to transform the vibes and the energy within you, it, like why bother? Oh, let's just work on the mind. What does it matter? Why are we going to work on the mind if your spirituality is out of whack, if your finances suck, if your body sucks, if your emotional health sucks? What is working on your mind really going to do for you? I need to know we're tackling all mm -hmm. five in some capacity so that you are actually creating forward movement. And when you elevate all of it, everything starts to move in that direction. That's very holistic. I mean, we can kind of end at that point, but I think having a holistic point of view and understanding it's like multiple legs to anything. And if you're just working on one leg, it's going to be unbalanced. And, right. and so if you get, into balance or you get into harmony not knowing that you can't stay in harmony and balance that it's 100 percent at a time you're gonna be in like waves are gonna come and the idea is like how do you handle those waves right like a jazz musician hit hit the so-called bad note do you stop the song or do you keep on going do you learn how to recover so nobody even knows you hit the bad note if you treat it like it's an opportunity. Nobody knows you hit the bad note. Except they you. think that you, 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 it was totally in the design and only you in the band know there wasn't in the design, but you just flew, you know, you just flowed with it. And if you can flow with your life in that way, I think you can make a lot of good movements. I'm talking to somebody like Vincent, 
you can get on that kind of mode. And I want to let people know we do have your website up. People can click that. If people click that before we go, what do they see when they click that URL? So that URL is not my website website specifically. That's actually to the free product that I, I give out. So it's called okay. a mission board. And I would love for everybody to have it. And uh, it it's kind of goes back to that life formula that I talked about, the life creative formula, vision, clarity, repetition. You create this mission board and it starts hopefully giving you those three so that you can really start transforming your life. If you go, my website is just www.vincentinfante.life. So that's the free resource I okay. want everybody to have. But the website is just vincentinfante.life. Okay, great. We can probably add that in. Um, and when we go fully published, then everybody have both of them and they can choose, you know, either one or both, yeah. which we want, you know, encourage everyone to click the links that we provide and they will be there. And I want to thank you again for being on the show. It's really great. It always goes by quicker than I ever imagined, but that just means that we're having a good time. And um, I want to thank you again for being on the Fam Luck to Ghost podcast. I hope you have a great night. Hope you had a great experience. Thank you.